This episode is taken from the playbook of Daniel DeNovi's signature coaching program, The Aligned Self. To learn more, check out the links in the show notes. Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Well, okay. Are you ready for this? Hopefully. Well, if not, hang on to your hat because we're about to go for a ride. Today I want to talk about the primary position, philosophical position, that you need to take on in order to manifest the life that you want, to really activate the law of attraction, and that is to commit to living a no-fault life. And you might be asking, just what do I mean by a no-fault life? And frankly, you may have never heard of the idea before, because truth be told, I think I made it up. I think I coined the phrase. And unless you've done a workshop with me, you've probably never heard it. You see, back in the 70s, when I first started learning to drive, Michigan had just adopted the idea of no-fault auto insurance. The idea that you're self-insured, you carry car insurance, and if you have an accident, no matter who's at fault, your insurance policy pays for it. Well, frankly, I didn't pay it much attention. I didn't really think about it that much at all. I had nothing to compare it to. It just was the way it was in Michigan at the time. In fact, it still is as far as I know. So, as the story goes, in the early to mid-80s, I moved to Columbus, Ohio. I had a new job, I bought a new car, and I insured it in Ohio. Of course I did. But, you know, I was in my early 20s. I didn't even really think about car insurance. It just was like one of those necessary evils, something you kind of had to have in order to drive. Well, it was probably three months after I had bought the car. I'm in Michigan visiting family. It was a rainy day. And I stopped for a light, and I ended up getting rear-ended. The vehicle that hit me was a pickup truck that was hauling a trailer with a bunch of landscaping equipment. And they stopped too late, and they slid and just kissed the back of my car. But they put a substantial dent in the rear hatch. Well, in the pouring rain, we exchanged insurance information. I called the sheriff and got a police report. And I just figured I'd take care of it when I got back to Ohio. And once back home, I contacted my insurance company, and they told me that they could not settle the claim right away. They were going to have to go to Michigan, go to this guy's insurance company, and sue them for the damages. It was their policy if the other driver was at fault. They did not pay out of pocket. They would sue the other company in order to retrieve the damages. And they were all too happy to point blame at the other guy. But in the meantime, go and get an estimate and figure out what we're working with. Well, I got an estimate and it came in just a a tad over $400. Like I said, it wasn't that big a deal. But it was an eyesore. And frankly, it was a brand new car. So I wanted it fixed. But when I went back to my insurance company, they said they wouldn't even touch it. They wouldn't sue them at all. Because I had a $500 deductible. And frankly, I was in my early 20s. $400 out of pocket in the mid-80s was a lot of money for me. So it was suggested that I actually sue this guy in small claims court for my deductible. 
Well, I had never sued anybody, never considered suing anybody, but I began the process. And so it became this cumbersome thing of communicating back and forth between Michigan and Columbus. And thinking I was going to save time and energy, I contacted the owner of the landscape company, thinking he would just pay me, you know, to keep it out of court, just to streamline it. And to him, four or $500 wasn't that big a deal. And to truth be told, his guy was at fault. He rear-ended me when I was stopped at a light. So I thought it was going to go really casual, really easy. But this guy got ballistic. He got really mad, saying, who did I think I was, that I was manufacturing a problem, that I didn't even have a police report to back up my story. I said, I have a police report. He said, you never call the police because it was raining and, you know, pouring rain. So we just exchanged information, and I pulled off into a parking lot. And then I called the sheriff, which if you didn't know, and both cars are drivable, there's been no physical injuries, you can just pull off the road. You don't have to stay there and wait for the police to arrive. Get out of the traffic. Get into a parking lot. Get off to the side. I, I got off the side in a parking lot. And I knew the damage wasn't that much. I just had to document that there was an event that took place. I thought the sheriff was actually going to show up and take a look. They didn't do that. They took it all the information right over the phone. And they said, in 48 hours, you can pick up the physical police report at the office. So I had that. But the landscape owner was assuming that I never called the police, that they didn't know. And it was just my word against his. And this was my first lesson, I guess, in legal matters or holding someone accountable. That unless you can hold someone accountable, prove that they're, I guess, responsible, most people will abdicate. They will step aside. They'll say, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. And it takes a certain amount of integrity to step up and say, hey, I'm at fault here. I'm responsible. Well, long story short, I'll try and shorten this up because the details aren't that important, but I was going to sue him for $800 in small claims court because I was going to have to take time off of work and I was going to have to drive up there and take care of this matter, even though my car just required $400 to fix. So this was, a, I guess, a learning experience for me because I was diving in deep, learning about the insurance, insurance laws, small claims court, everything happens for a reason. So in the process of my, my education, my investigation, I discovered that Michigan has a mini tort law, meaning that they will pay up to $1,000 to the victims of automobile accidents of those people insured by no-fault insurance. So I called the landscape owner's uh, insurance rep, said I want to activate the mini tort law, and I'd like a check for $500. He knew about the accident. He knew that I had a police report. He knew that I was, had already filed a small claims court to sue for even more than that. And he said, it's a good thing that you knew about this mini tort law. I asked him, well, you knew about it, didn't you? You could have avoided this whole thing. We could have settled this much earlier. And all he said was, well, no worries. I will cut you a check today for $500. It should be in your hands in just three or four days. And I did indeed receive it just three or four days later. Done deal. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it have been easier if everyone owned up to this in the beginning? In fact, in life, 
wouldn't it be great if everyone lived as a no-fault life? As if anything that happened to them, they were responsible for. You see, here I was at 25, and I began studying the human mind hypnosis at age 13. I studied interpersonal and organizational communication and minored in psychology at Michigan State. So I have almost always been in the mind or in the thinking, in the mindset of how does this apply to my life? How can I implement this and learn from it? So I began formulating this personal psychology, this personal philosophy of a no-fault life. Now, in the beginning of this podcast episode, I suggested that this idea, the philosophy of a no-fault life, was critical in your success in implementing the law of attraction, manifesting the life that you want. You see, when you live in the idea that other people are to blame, other people and circumstances are at cause for your life, then the implied belief underneath it is that you're not in control, that you don't have a say. But when you adopt the idea that it's a no-fault life, that everything that shows up, you attract it, and that means the good and the bad. And whether it's true or not, if you accept 100% responsibility for what shows up day in, day out, from moment to moment, that actually gives you agency. It's not meant to assess blame. It's not to make you feel guilty. For, look what you created. No, it, it's information. It's feedback. You don't like the way things are. You shift your approach. You change your thoughts. You change your behavior. Maybe even shift your beliefs. And I understand that I said that everyone is responsible for what shows up in their life. But in the philosophy of a no-fault life, it's more taking responsibility for how you handle it, how you respond to it. You see, there are horrendous things that happen to people. There are traumatic events. But just because someone has a traumatic event doesn't mean they embody trauma after it. Trauma is created in how we process the event, what we make that mean about us, the story that we tell. And to be accurate, what constitutes trauma, what constitutes a traumatic event, can vary from one person to the next. In the end, it's a very personal experience, a very personal definition, a very personal recollection. And what I found interesting over the years in my coaching practice is that it varies widely, the types of events that people bring to me and they refer to as being traumatic. And sometimes I'm judgmental. I don't say it, but someone brings me what I consider a dinky-do item, and to them, it is the end of the world. And realize that I've had people bring me everything, bring me experiences from rape and incest in severe beatings to being passed over for a promotion. And each and every one of those people have said, this is trauma, this has hurt me to the core. And I can remember my response when I first heard the guy tell me that he was passed over for a promotion and it was the end of the world. You see, for him, the meaning of it was that he was betrayed. After 25 years, he was expecting this promotion. He was told he was going to get this promotion and they passed him over. So he was betrayed. He was taken for granted. It was as if the entire 25 years of him working there became meaningless. Was it the truth? No, it was his story. It was the way he perceived it. And in that regard, his response, his perception was valid. To him, it was the truth. Now, regardless of the type of event or exactly what happened, they exist as trauma 
when we live in the idea that it shouldn't have happened that way. It couldn't have, it, it shouldn't have occurred. They should have never done that. It's been my experience that the trauma lives on. The suffering continues. In the platform of a no-fault life, in that philosophy, acceptance is king. You accept what happened, whether you like it or not. It happened. And then once you accept that it happened, then you can deal with it. You can respond to it. Exercise your ability to respond. Your responsibility. In a very simplistic metaphor, if you fall and skin your knee, you clean it up, you put a band-aid on it, you allow it to heal. It happened. I think I learned this at a young age, playing Little League, playing baseball. When you're up to bat and the pitcher hits you with the ball, of course, the umpire will say, take your base. But the next time you get up to bat, you're encouraged just to step back in and act as if it never happened. Because if you flinch and you're worried about getting hit again, you will be tentative, you will be reticent, and you will not hit the ball the way you truly can if you are completely in the moment, engaged in the moment. You see, when you get up there in the batter's box and you're remembering the last, you're like your mind is in the past. You're recreating the past in this moment. The truth is you were hit you know, two innings ago. This moment in time, your at bat, is a brand new experience. It's fresh. So you don't have to remember. In fact, you're encouraged not to remember. And you probably have heard the phrase too. If you fall off the horse, you have to get back on right away. Otherwise, you'll spend forever fearing the horse. And maybe not just that one horse, but all horses forever. Because you keep bringing the past and putting it into the future. So let's, for a second, ask the question, what is the purpose of memory? Do you think the purpose of memory is to remember a traumatic event over and over and over again to keep replaying it? No. The purpose of memory is to learn new skills, to learn what doesn't work. When hunting the saber-toothed tiger and the tiger takes a swipe at you and catches you with its claws, you just don't get that close again. You don't stop hunting the tiger. You're just more careful next time. So the memory is meant to learn from, to empower you in moving forward, not to stop you, not to shut you down, not to have you live smaller. So bringing this back to the philosophy of living a no-fault life, you never point your finger to assess blame. You don't say they shouldn't have done that. They never should have done that because you're faced with the fact that they did it. And so in that conflict of reality, you know, something happened, there was a certain result. And when you resist that, there's suffering. So when you accept it, yes, it happened. How am I going to deal with it? And this is why I've said in the past, you can have the story of your pain, the story of your trauma, or the story of your healing. You can't have both. You can't play a victim in one story and be a victor in another at the same time. Another way of thinking about this is going on a road trip. Now, when I drive back to Michigan to visit my family, I leave Fort Worth, Dallas, and take I-30 east towards Memphis. And once I go through Memphis, I end up in Nashville. I visit some friends, and then the next day, I drive north to Michigan, and it's a very nice trip. 
But once I leave Fort Worth, it does not factor in at all in the rest of my journey. Like once I hit Little Rock, I don't think, oh my God, I left Fort Worth, you know, three hours ago. And the traffic there was horrendous. Like, I don't even think about it. It doesn't factor in anymore in my trip. All I have to do is plug in where my current location is, where do I want to go, how many hours is it going to take me to get there. That's all I'm concerned about. If I have to take a detour and get off the highway or get off my path, I check in with the GPS. What's the most appropriate path for me to take from where I currently am and where do I want to go? Again, Fort Worth doesn't factor in at all. My past does not factor in at all in that. Once it's done, it's done. And in fact, once I arrive at my destination, I'm typically asked, how was your trip? I don't recount, you know, the traffic jams, the detours and all that. I just say it was pretty good. It was uneventful. And frankly, you want a road trip that is fairly uneventful. Everything kind of went as planned. But can you imagine me sitting around having a beer with my brothers or talking to my mom or my sister and saying, oh, my God, the traffic in Fort Worth was horrendous. I didn't think I was ever going to get out of there. I sat there for hours. No, they don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to sit around replaying all that. It gets in the way of me having fun and being present with my family. So the reason I brought this up, the reason I made this a topic for this podcast episode is that I want you to take a look at your own life. Are there any events in your past that you're hanging on to, that you're avoiding taking responsibility in dealing with, or more accurately, accepting, accepting that yes, it did happen, they behaved that way, and as a consequence, this is my response to that. And with that said, I agree there are some events that are harder to let go of than others. And it's important for me to point out that in the acceptance of these events, you're not condoning it. You're not saying it was okay. You're just saying it happened. And it was traumatic. I would never, ever want to go through that again. But in the context of the no-fault life, is that you are not going to allow them or that experience to interfere with your life today. And it does. When we hang on to those traumatic events and we replay the trauma, we relive it. We're not complete with it. We haven't chosen to let it go. And there is a certain amount of choosing because we resist it. And, you know, you've heard it, I'm sure, not just from me, but from other people out in the metaphysical space, that which you resist persists because you cannot not think of something. And just like I've talked about before in processing an emotion, and I'll have to refer back to the the episode in the show notes because I can't remember it off the top of my head, but essentially you acknowledge what happened. You acknowledge it. You acknowledge how you felt. How you responded was the best you could do at that time. You honor your feelings. Of course you are mad. Of course you are hurt, given the context of what occurred. But again, the purpose of memory is not to hang on to the hurt. It's to learn from it. It's to process it, accept it, and release it. Now, as you play with this idea of the no-fault life in your day-to-day, when someone cuts you off in traffic, 
You don't get upset. You don't call them an SOB. You just accept it and keep driving. You steer clear of them. Because if you get all caught up in blaming them and getting mad at them and chasing them down the road, that just doesn't end well. You're not going to teach them a lesson. You're just going to add fuel to the fire. And frankly, you're going to make the rest of your trip kind of unbearable, especially if you have passengers. This philosophy of a no-fault life falls in alignment with the four agreements. And frankly, I had to look these up because I've not read the book. A lot of people tell me that it's a fantastic book, but I get the agreements. One is be impeccable with your word. When I go back to the guy, the landscape guy, how he thought he could not be held accountable, so he was trying to avoid his responsibility. And I get that having integrity as a human being, being your word, keeping your word, is one of the hardest things to do. But the second agreement is most in alignment with a no-fault life, and that is don't take anything personally. And why not? Well, frankly, most people don't do things to upset you on purpose. They're trying to live their own life. They're trying to make up for their own failings, their own insecurities, trying to cover all that up, and you just happen to be in the way. And in saying that, I don't want to bruise any egos or burst any bubbles, but frankly, people just aren't that interested in you. I can remember a woman I dated, oh, two decades ago. It would take her two hours to get ready, and an hour of that was working on her hair. And frankly, her hair was not that complicated. And I asked her one time, why do you spend so much time on your hair? I think it looks great. And she said that she had one layer of hair or a section of hair on the left side that didn't lay exactly right or the same that it did on the right side. And I said, no one notices. Nobody even cares. No one looks at you that closely. They're not that interested in the every little detail of you. If you look at any person on the planet, one half of their body is different than the other half, slightly. I have one ear that's just a tiny bit lower than the other. It makes it difficult for me to wear sunglasses. Oh, and <laughs> I didn't actually mean to disclose that about me. How embarrassing. But back to my conversation with this young lady. I asked her, has it ever laid exactly the way you wanted it to? She thought for a moment and confided, well, once or twice it was perfect. And then I asked, all the other times it wasn't? What did you ever do? I was miserable. And then my follow-up question, did anyone ever point it out to you? Did they laugh at you, ridicule you? Is there a reason why you're such a focus on that side? She said, well, in thinking about it, I guess there is no good reason. It just bothered me. And I asked her, why did, why did it bother you? Because I thought it mattered to other people. And then my last question, if you were to just accept your hair the way it is, love it the way it is, do the best you can with it, and then go out the door, how long would it take you to get ready? And she said, probably about 45 minutes. And then she stopped and thought for a second and then said, well, maybe 30 minutes if I'm not too particular about my makeup. 
And ever after that, as long as we dated, she was happier, I was happier, I wasn't having to wait an hour and a half because she never started two hours before we had to leave. And while that example might sound a little trivial about the hair and all that, she was blaming her hair for not doing what she wanted it to do. She was getting upset over it. She thought everyone was looking at it and laughing at her. She was making it a bigger deal than it needed to be. Once she accepted it, it's just the way it is. Now, I can say that easily because I used to have really curly hair and I couldn't do anything with it. And then I've lost all my hair and I can't do anything with it. So I've just had to accept it the way it is because I've been a lot happier doing that. It's nobody's fault. I never said my hair should have never fallen out. It just happened. And then I went with it. I shaved it. I was shaving my head before it was fashionable. Why? Because it was easier than worrying about it. I just accepted it. I embraced it. This is my look. And as a side note, people say I haven't changed in 20 years. I look basically the same. Now, I can see the differences, but from, like I said, no one looks that closely at you. But since I've had a consistent look for 20 years, people just think I don't age or I haven't aged that much. So as I bring this idea of living a no-fault life to a close, I guess the fundamental thing that I wanted to get across is that it, it isn't what happens to you. It's what you think about what happened to you that makes all the difference. It's how you process the information. It's what you make it mean about you. It's the story that you tell that perpetuates the pain, that perpetuates the trauma. And one more thought. And sometimes this is hard to accept, hard for most people to buy, that the universe is always working for you, not against you. Life happens for you, not to you. And at some point along the way, you always have the choice. It's your ultimate freedom to choose your response to what shows up. And in how you choose, it determines the quality and the happiness in your life. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you live the epic adventure. <laughs>